Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, Welcome to the Living 3 Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience, and they show us that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are members of Al-Anon Family Groups, and we'll be talking about living with the effects of someone else's alcoholism and how Al-Anon Family Groups has helped them cope. Um, So, Annette and Silvana, welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Thank you. Uh, now, we usually start talking about what life's like growing up and the things that sort of influenced you and, and how your life was intersected by alcoholism. So, uh, Annette, um, we'd like to talk about you know, growing up and the things in your family and how, how life was for you as a child. Okay. Um, I'm one of three. I'm the, the middle child. My um, elder brother and um, younger sister... Um, are part of my life as they have their own journeys and um, a little bit about why I came into Al-Anon but predominantly because of my partner. But in growing up, um, my dad was a polio victim and um, mum was a nurse and they met in hospital and got married and were able to both have, you know, fulfilling jobs and careers and... um, and we grew up around that. Okay. So did you have any impact of alcohol in your life as a child? Um, as a child, my grandfather lived with us, my dad's dad. He um, lived with us until he passed away when I was about eight years old. He, um, as I know now and become to learn that he was a alcoholic, his day was spent either sitting in his bungalow or outside drinking alcohol very non-communicative, wasn't really an active part of our family. Did he cause any issues in the family? Yes, yes. (laughs) I do remember my mum going out at least monthly every two months to try to get him to come in and have a shower. He was very independent in um, his food preparations um, in his bungalow and being very reclusive, but there would always be this argument, you need to come in and... Yeah. Have a shower and, um, yeah, that's what I remember mainly about my grandfather um, and my brother actually making a lot of money selling his bottles. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was his pocket money. <laughs> yeah, that was very common in the old days. Uh, yes, funny. Um, so how about schooling and friendships? Did you have a normal childhood in that way? Um, what's normal? Yeah. In primary school, there was a bit of bullying. I um, found that the particular head of the bullies, you were either in the group that week or not in the group that week, depending on her mood. And so primary school was very up and down about feeling part of a group um, until I got to about grade six and maybe that was my first spiritual awakening where... um, I just turned around to her one day and said, I don't really want to be part of your group. And 
I think from then on found a, a way of being more ins- insular and choosing where I wanted to be around safe people or not safe people and I think I yeah, became a bit of a loner sometimes but part of part of groups when I felt that they were a safe place to be but it could mean that I was with the quieter group and they'd be sitting there uh, picking on people and I didn't want to be part of that so I'd leave and sit with the peripherals of the um, other groups that might have been um, getting into a little bit of trouble but not stepping in close enough to be part of that trouble. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, how about the family? Did the family work together as a team? We went on holidays every year, mum and dad, and and the kids, we all went camping um, just because dad was um, in a wheelchair. It didn't stop, stop the family um, being doing ordinary things and um, dad loved travelling. Um, my, um, yeah, I'd say it was a pretty ordinary. Yep. And until my siblings became teenagers, I suppose, it was pretty ordinary. So what happened then? My brother started experimenting with drugs and alcohol and was um, asked to leave home when he was 18 and uh, my sister... Um, was pregnant at 16 and a half and was out of home. She was right in the mixture of the people that um, she thought that she could save. Um, whereas I would tend to be more reclusive and hide away in my bedroom and read books and um, um, Insul- try to hope that it would all go away. Insulate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and how about you, Silvana? What was life like for you growing up? Well, I, I'm the eldest out of um, three sisters and my childhood, uh, there was no alcoholism. Mum and Dad didn't drink. But I grew up in a um, traditional European family where Dad was a bit strict and um, things were either black and white, there was no in-between. And mum was a traditional uh, European lady, but she was very neurotic. I noticed that from early childhood. And, um, yeah. So was it difficult as a child trying to fit in with the the constraints of a European parents and Australian yeah. society? Yeah. yeah, it was very difficult because uh, we did a lot of geographical too. Um I was very young when he first came to Australia and then stayed here for a couple of years, then went back to Europe, came back after a couple of years. So they were doing a lot of geographical back and forward. So there was a lot of uh, instability in my life as far as uh, schooling, always changing schools, and also friendships. I found that very difficult from, yeah, early childhood. Okay. Um, so did you spend long in Europe? Did you spend long in Europe? Um, the last time we did was around about uh, when I was 11 to the age of 18. and That's a long been, time. It is yeah. a long time, yeah. yes. And uh, it was a bit of a difficult period in my life. Um, 
we sort of lived in a little village and from the age of 15 to 18, I was meant to go to school to the nearby town and back those days, we there was not much transport, there wasn't much travelling back and forth, so we had to actually stay in the little town. And I had my sister with me. So from the age of 15 till 18, pretty much I was like her mother. She was under my care. So from a very young age, I had to learn responsibilities and uh, to be a caretaker. Okay, so we are living with a family? Uh, we'd go on the weekends, we'll go back home to yeah. mum and dad. But during the week we're living? But during the week we'll live in the little town, you know, for a week or two weeks on end with my sister all alone. I was only 15, she was 12. Wow, So it's incredible. It, it's, it was very, very difficult. <sighs> okay, so when you go back to Australia then, you're around 18, so how did life change? Um, when we came back, it was very difficult for me again because I had to adjust at 18 um, and uh, it was hard to fit in. I didn't have any friends, so I wasn't coping very well that way. My mother left and she went back to Europe and that was after one year. So uh, I was left again with my younger sister at that time, I was around about 19 and my sister was 15. And I get, again, I had that big responsibility about caring for my sister. And, um, yeah, I struggled with that a lot. And I had a lot of... Uh, due to that, I've always had issues with my parents. With my parents abandoning, I've had a lot of issues through my childhood with abandonment yeah. and, and being... A really good caretaker. Yeah. So did that? Did you feel insecure? Absolutely. All this affected me as a person. I had very low self-esteem. I had no confidence, and I was just, um, yeah, hoping that one day I'll meet a guy and that he will save me, and I'm going to feel much, much better within. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll swap back to you, Annette. Um, so, um, I think where we left you, um, we were talking about camping and, and life was generally good in the family, but in relationships, how were they for you as a, you know, growing as a teenager? Um, I struggled to have real friends. I think there was, um, one or two, but I seemed to have better friendships when I met my partner and we were very young I was 16 and he was 17 and um, I think provided a little escape from my um, what was happening at home because my sister was starting to get into you know her her troubles Um, she's three years younger than I and um, and my brother was getting into his troubles so um yeah having finding a a partner and we seem to get along well was a little bit of an escape yeah so did he have any drug or alcohol problems um he drank at at weekends which i thought was pretty normal i didn't drink myself very often it wasn't um something that appealed to me but a lot of my friends did and he did and seemed to be an acceptable part of the growing up, um, yeah, would just binge drink on the weekends and 
we'd kiss and make up the next day if I'd got angry or, yeah. <laughs> okay. So did you get married? We did. I got married at 21, um, 22 actually, sorry. And um, we bought our first home, needed renovations. We were very good at renovating things together, we found out. Um, and he still binge drank and um, had a... A problem with um, dope smoking as well. Um, it's probably more my problem at the time than his. Um, but I seemed to be able to live with it. It just seemed to be a pattern of our life. And I could work around it. You know, there's just him and I. I was working and um, studying and managing life quite well, I thought, until um, we had children. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Well, we might leave you at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Silvana, so... You were looking after – your mum had gone overseas so and you were looking after your sister. So what was the next change? Um, what happened afterwards was when mum came back, um, like I mentioned earlier, she was very neurotic and uh, she wanted me uh, – by this time I was around about in my 20s, early 20s, 21, and she really wanted me to get married and I – felt very pressured just um yeah to marry I met somebody and um I knew him for a very short time um we're looking at not even two months so um pretty much Bill I was just jumping from the frying pan into the fire really because I didn't know this guy there was just just the physical attraction and that's about it really yeah so yeah so you end up marrying him Yes, um, we end up getting married very soon and um, there was a bit of drinking going on from his side of the family, the cousins. There was a lot of parties going and a lot of drinking and from that early stage I could understand why they were doing that because Growing up in a family where it was very strict and you had to do the right thing and... Always. Yes, <laughs> always. And Dad was a type of person that if, if you got a B at school, oh, you should have got an A. And if you got an A, well, why didn't you get an A plus? So you could never sort of, um, yeah. Never succeed. Never yeah. succeed. Yeah. And uh, I, I struggle with my husband's drinking. Uh, he was one of the... Um, he would get upset very easily. He was an aggressive drunk. He couldn't tolerate his alcohol. So life was uh, very difficult for me. I had uh, two young boys early on in the marriage and uh, I really struggled. I, uh, I thought that if I was doing the right thing, for example, he was always complaining, even when the electricity bill came or telephone bill or any of the utility bills, it'll be like total aggression and screaming and unacceptable behaviour. So I thought if I did go to work, if I did the right thing and uh, he'll be happy that I can control it that way. But, of course, it never ends. Right. Listen, we might take a quick break there. (laughs) 
Wear your Radical Radio colours in one of 3CR's new T-shirts. The bright new design comes straight from this year's popular Radiothon poster designed by Aisha Tufa. T-shirts cost $30 to pick up or $37 with postage. So drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Call 9419-8377 to place your order. Or buy one online at 3cr.org.au slash shop. 3CR Radical Radio T-shirts. Get one one now. Ah, <laughs> oh, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, if you'd like to listen to one of our podcasts, then you can uh, there on our website, uh, 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free. Uh, you can contact us via 3CR on 03 8377 via email uh, 3 at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. Uh, I'm talking with Annette and Silvana about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of our Lauren family groups. Now, Annette, I think we left you. You're married. You're starting to have problems with your husband's drug and alcohol issues. Mm-hmm. What yes. happened next? Well, I think what happened was, yeah, children came along and the whole dynamic changed and I expected things from somebody that I did not understand couldn't deliver the things that I expected. And um, it took some while to figure that all out. Um, I always thought that I would be able to um, change his behaviour, especially when I was younger, and that we would be able to work through things. And we had been able to work through most things together, but the whole um, idea of him being more responsible around children and to be able to control what he drank if he had to pick the kids up um, from daycare or whatever, that that was something that he could not control. And it made our whole relationship far more difficult and... I think I went more into survival mode, being the responsible one, trying to do things to avoid him having to let me down. So, you know, I'd be paying the bills and... Taking over. At, yeah, taking yeah. over. Mm. Mm. So did that make you angry? It did. I used to be far more forgiving with his drinking and his drug-taking um, I didn't like it, but, you know, I was much more able to forgive and forget and, um, and oh, yeah, I think I prayed one day that, um, please, God, don't let me forgive and forget because maybe the dynamics will change if I stay angry. Um, maybe he will be more influenced by my more angry, tough, tough, yeah, <laughs> attitude. But it worked right the opposite way. It didn't change his behaviour. I think it made him possibly worse and made me um, unreasonable. And um, trying to hold it together and not let it affect the kids or my workplace became harder and harder. Mm. Yeah. So who cracked first, you or him? Um, I think... He was starting to crack big time when I 
knew that I needed to do something dramatic. We'd just finished building a home. Luckily, it had a spare bedroom and I think that, again, was another spiritual awakening. I hadn't really connected with um, Al-Anon at the time, but I did have a um, a faith and, and, yeah, I think the solution just came, just move into the spare room, don't make any other rash decisions, but take a step back from the control and that might give you some release. Let him know that you can't do for him what he could hopefully do for himself and um, he spiralled further out of control very quickly. Yeah. It was an, so how did that yeah. affect you? Um, did that make you feel better or...? Very mixed emotions. I was more peaceful. I wasn't so caught up in the control and the anger. And I think I became better able to see him as a person really suffering because he got to the stage where he wasn't showering or eating properly and I could be more compassionate about that without feeling that I I knew I couldn't control it anymore. And one day he had a moment of clarity and said, just take me to the train station, I want to get to my parents. And I think that was a Monday or Tuesday. By the weekend they'd got him into a a detox centre um, and within the week he had committed himself and they'd found a place for him in a one-month rehab place. I'm so thankful I never cancelled my health insurance. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we fortunately were able to do that. Um, we weren't on waiting lists and things, but yeah. it was a big turning point in our relationship and his yeah. recovery. Yeah. How did it make you feel having someone else help him when you couldn't? Oh, when I share at Al-Anon meetings now, occasionally the topic will come up and, um, you know, I talk about having for a long time felt very resentful to my um, in-laws. I mean, it was a wonderful thing he got sober, but I spent 15 years trying to do something and they were able to do it within a week but um i had to just let that go and say you know that was the journey yeah um yeah okay um silvana back to you yes um so i I think we left you you just you had a couple of kids and things at home were difficult so what happened next um i was pretty much gonna work and uh, trying to really keep my head above water not living barely just surviving um there was a lot of uh unacceptable behavior on his part and um the funny thing about it, Bill, was he was working with a guy that was a AA member. Okay. And um, he always was suggesting that he goes to AA. But um, my husband actually just shrugged it off. He said, no, AA is not for me. And um, But I was, I was full of anger and I didn't actually – I was one of those people that didn't get into fights or arguments. I just held the anger bottled inside and that was hurting me. My health was being affected. My blood pressure was very high at a very young age. And also uh, because of the unacceptable behaviour, 
the domestic violence. I was pretty much living in fear every day. And that was pretty traumatic for me and for my children. So there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear and a lot of anger in me. And um, his boss actually saw this kind of behaviour in me and one day he handed over a pamphlet, which is actually an Al-Anon yeah. <laughs> pamphlet, and I was holding, I was reading this pamphlet and I was underlying every sentence because I can really identify, oh my, this is me, this is me. And I rang up Al-Anon, the head office, I spoke to a lady on the other phone and by that weekend I went to my first meeting yeah. And so how did that make you feel if going to a meeting and hearing other people's stories? Well, when I walked in those rooms, um, I felt like I was coming home. I, the other members were so serene and so peaceful and because I wasn't living like that at home, it was very you know, volatile and an angry environment. I just felt a lot of peace and a lot of serenity and I wanted more of that. So how, how old were your kids at that point? My kids at that age, Bill, the oldest one was 11 and the young, younger one was around about four. And I used to take them those early days with me. And as I was growing and changing in Al-Anon, I, um, I made a decision to leave my husband and I was going to raise these, as a single mum, these beautiful boys and I wanted to save them and they were going to turn out different and away from all the aggression and violence. Right. Okay. We might, we might leave you there and swap back to Annette. Um, Annette, so your husband went into rehab. Yes. So what was that like for you, having him starting to address his problem? Did that change your life? It did initially. It took a while to rebuild rebuild some relationship. I, um, I did go to my first Eleanor meeting um, the weekend before he was due to be released. Um, and I thought now that he'd been through his program that things would be okay and... I never really connected properly with Alan on then at the time. I thought, no, I've, I've, I reconnected with my church and he's on his journey and somehow or other we'll work things out and things will be okay. Um, so were they? They were up and down for um, 10 years. Um, I think we worked out or I worked out that there had always been an underlying mental health issue and... You know, he went through stages of depression and uh, in and out of work um, several times. Um, but it was all done without alcohol and we were able to, to sort of manage and get through those difficulties until one of his jobs was um, working shift work and he found that difficult to, to deal with and he resorted to starting to use marijuana again and in his words, it was just so that he didn't drink and he thought it was the easiest way to deal with better sleep patterns. Um, unfortunately, it triggered a major psychotic episode. Okay, mm. right. Listen, we might leave it there. 3CR is giving our prolific programmers a well-earned break. 
check out the summer grid at 3cr.org.au forward slash summer specials. Ah, you're listening to uh, Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Annette and Silvana, and we're talking about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon family groups. So, Silvana, you got into Al-Anon. You decided to leave your husband. How did things work out once you'd left? Well, I... Um I continued to work and uh, kept going to my meetings and things were actually going pretty good uh, for a few years. Unfortunately, um, the vision that I had for my ch- one of my children that, um, you know, he wasn't going to turn to alcohol or anything else changed. At the age of 18, he uh, turned to drugs especially ice, and I really struggled with that. I lost my way. I stopped going to the meetings, and I was very angry with my high power. I went away for around about seven, I think it was seven years. But during that time, Bill, I really struggled, and I realised that... uh, you know, I, I couldn't go without a program that I really needed my program. And especially, um, yeah, with this disease, we've gone through so much, you know, with uh, through police intervention, hospitalisation, uh, imprisonment, even death with the father dying, the father of my children. And this is how powerful and strong this disease is. It's a very conniving, baffling disease. Yeah. So how does it help having contact with other people who have the same, are in the same situation? Well, for starters, I, prior to Al-Anon days, I thought I was all alone, that I was the only person going through this trauma and this life. So... Going to Al-Anon, I realised that I'm not the only one. There's a lot of support and that a lot of people are in a similar situation. Not the same, but battling the family disease. Yeah, it's, it has a lot of commonality. Um, so how did you find you know, your first meetings and sort of being in Al-Anon initially, how did that help later on? Uh, when I went back to the program, uh, because I had some basics and a bit of understanding about the program, I was able to uh, work more intensely and uh, go to my regular meetings. And on top of that, I was doing some extra meetings. And I found that very beneficial because when the, the father of my children passed away, I was able to... Uh, go past my anger and my uh, and what we did as a family we gave him a decent burial uh, because he died homeless this how strong this disease is he mm. ended up homeless and they pretty much found him a week later and uh, the sad part about it is um, he was very young he was only 49 years of age but Alan taught me to get past, to forgive 
and we were able to send him off in a very compassionate and loving way. Yeah. To say goodbye. Yeah, it's nice. Isn't I wouldn't it? have been able to do it without Alnon. Yeah, I think it's the resentment that gets you. It's all those stored up feelings of anger That's about right. what he's done. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so, Annette, um, your husband started to use marijuana again. So, mm. did that yes. improve his life? No. <laughs> no, it, um, yeah created a spiral, very quick spiral into some uncontrollable behaviour. Um, he quit his job, thought he could start running his own businesses and it was, um, yeah, a classic manic episode I have since found out about. Um, I thought I knew about drugs and alcohol being disease and knew a bit about mental illness being a disease but I didn't know understand all the ins and outs of... Um, of um, bipolar and you know that's been another learning journey and um, you know I, I can now look back at his um, some of his alcoholism and drug addiction and um, his relationship with his family and you know see areas that you know, he's probably always had an underlying mental health issue and it's like, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? What caused yeah. what? And, you know, the drugs and alcohol seem to all be part of it. Yeah, I think mm. they just exacerbate the problem. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what sort of things did you have to do to try and detach from him and his um, situation? Yeah, so he – I didn't have to kick him out of home. Unfortunately, we had a caravan and he would just take it and go and – stay at various people's places, it was almost like, um, I suppose, what you might describe a classic alcohol or alcoholic living in a gutter almost, mm. whereas he wasn't in a gutter, he was in a caravan. But, yeah, he was doing really bizarre behaviour. And for me, I was so confused and upset and ringing his AA sponsor and, you know, what can you do and trying to reach out to other family and friends to find some solution or understanding and and it was only when his sponsor sat down with me and said, you really need Al-Anon and it was like, yeah, I think you're right. I, I can't cope with this anymore, you know, and I started to wish that I connected better with Al-Anon back the first time he'd become sober but I hadn't and um, I'd been to a lot of joint AA Al-Anon functions and really felt that I could connect to a lot of the stories and but I still felt that I could do it myself until this situation came about and you know I walked in there really at my rock bottom of despair and anger and wishing him dead and he'd um taken an unplanned plane trip and I wished that whole plane would crash and I was mortified that I was um, Could think that having way. those yeah. thoughts. Yeah. And at my very first meeting, I heard other people without even having shared my story talk about their journeys and that they'd had those terrible thoughts. And I felt it didn't make me feel that any... It, it did make me feel better in, in a sense that I wasn't the alone. You weren't the only crazy one. That's no. right, yeah. exactly. Um, that people had felt as I had felt. And then it was about, well, what do you do with those feelings? And um, a big 
journey it's been since for the last five years in finding out about ways that I had thought I was dealing well with things, finding out that my controlling, manipulative behaviour, the shell that I'd built up around myself, um, wasn't doing myself any good and was harming my relationships and um, possibly those with my children and my other family members. Yeah, so I think it's the pretense where we've got to have we have two lives one one for the public and one for the family. Exactly, and it's I think it's that contradiction of trying to keep those two things going. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was very very painful and a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of anxiety, and you know I really hooked on within the first week or two to some of the simple slogans um, like the one day at a time. And for me, it became all about, you know, just one hour at a time just to bring me to a more sense, to a sense of peace and um, clarity on what can I do in the next hour that is within my ability rather than projecting into all this doom and gloom and awful thoughts about what could happen and... Um, it just made dealing with life a little easier. Yeah. Did you find any difficulty confronting the fact that you were part of the problem? Definitely, yes. Um, You know, initially it was all about his illness and me understanding it was his illness and that I, you know, I knew I couldn't cure it, I knew I couldn't control it, but it was still his issue, it wasn't mine, until I really started to look at some of my behaviour around trying to manage it. You know, the silent treatment, the slamming doors, the going into my bedroom and crying into the pillow or bashing into the pillow to, in my mind, thinking that I'm protecting my children, (laughs) but they were probably listening on the other side of the door um, and not, uh, yeah, it was a lot of illusion. Yeah. Uh, So what about your thinking? Did your thinking change quickly once you realised what you were dealing with? Um. I was able to get a sense of peace in that hour and a half that I was sitting there listening to other people and I could walk out of meetings sometimes with a little clearer idea of some choices that I could make, um, particularly around protecting money and cutting off money, which was really hard to do at the time. Um understanding that I had choices about how I behaved um, and how I projected myself to others, including him. There's a saying in Al-Anon about saying what you mean but don't say it mean, and I realised how often I was saying it mean, um, and so it lost its meaning in what I was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Mm. yeah. Okay, Silvana, what about you? Your your son started using drugs. So how did that affect your life and how did Alanon help you cope? Um, because I've been to Alanon previously and it was very, um, when I came around the second time, I, um, I knew I could really understand it, that it was a disease, that he was not doing what he was doing to upset me on purpose. Um, like Annette said, sometimes you question it, whether it's the chicken or the egg. Um, with him, 
alcohol was the trigger and then he did go on to the harder drug. Um, Al-Anon taught me to have so much understanding and to have compassion and also to uh, love them unconditionally. I do take things day at a time. I'm changed as a person. I used to be a reactor and uh, I no longer do that anymore. I just uh, go to my meetings and uh, try to have my peace and serenity. Um, I know that when I'm not travelling well, that I'm not good to anyone, let alone myself. So Alan is a beautiful program, program that has taught me to... Um, to take things one day at a time, Bill, not to go into the future and start projecting because I was very good at always imagining the worst and um, and that everything will be such a big catastrophe. Um, Alanon has taught me that if an event is going to happen, I'm going to – I'll deal with it at that particular time. So I'm staying in the present. I'm not – going so much into the future and um, for me it's really a blueprint for living if I didn't have this program uh, I really don't know where I'll be today Uh, it's just wonderful yeah thank you Mm. so you talked about not reacting so what's it like not reacting and responding instead as far Uh, as the situation goes um, when I say not reacting, I um, I don't have to uh, get very angry with them and I don't have to uh, sort of uh, judge them or be critical about it, which was one of my traits as well, to be very judgmental and very critical. Uh, these days I try to uh, take care of myself and if... I am angry. I recognise that it's not them. It's more to do with what's going in within me. And that's one of the beautiful things about this program, that I got to understand who Silvana is. And without this program, I don't think I ever would have reached that stage, Bill. Uh, The program has made me more aware of what I'm feeling. Like I shared earlier, I only had anger in and fear in me, but these days I can experience a lot of other emotions, you know, and happiness and joy and sadness. So I'm very grateful to the program that uh, has allowed me to open up, to bloom and to grow as a person. Yeah, that's Thank good. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Annette? What what sort of things has the program helped you with in your relationships? Yeah, I found out um, that a lot of the things that I put in place for myself um, prior to the program um, helped me to survive, um, you know, like putting an armour around myself, I suppose, um, and trying to manage things all by myself without asking for help or becoming a bit compulsive, obsessive about cleanliness and things being done in certain ways because I got um, reassurance, I suppose, from those things and they served me well, I thought. And it was only in, it's only been in coming to the program that I've realised that some of those things don't serve me well at all. 
um, that they do affect my relationships at work and um, at, and at home life. And I've been able to, you know, not be so pedantic about things. It's um, rigid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's given me a little bit of freedom to um, think. Well, that's not my responsibility. Where I always thought everything was my responsibility, mm-hmm. and it would be my fault if things went wrong. That I can now. Um, you know, look at tasks and and the workplace and try to just do what's in my realm of influence and not get my sticky fingers in other things where I don't think they're going well, right, because I found there is no right way. No. Um, There's a lot of grey out there and that's okay and that's given a lot more um, relief and freedom and a sense of joy and happiness than getting tied up in strings if things aren't black or white, uh, yeah. like Silvana was talking about being black and white before. Yeah. yeah I think it's about choice, mm. that you realise you've got choice, but you've got to exercise it. That's correct, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think we might wind up there. Um, if you're interested in contacting Alan and family groups, then you can call them. Uh, they're on the phone, uh, 1300 252 666, um, or they're online at alanon.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Annette and Silvana for coming in today and sharing their Alan and Family Group's recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from a gambling addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, if you stay tuned now, we've got more great summer programming on 3CR. Um, I think we're doing uh, the Let's Talk Converge series, uh, a seri- uh, one of three uh, talking on Indigenous issues. Thanks again for listening to the Living Free program. And to take us out, we've got a song called Blackfella, Whitefella by Zucchini Clan. Are you the one always ready with the help?